David Gork, thank you for joining us. Um, let's start with where you are now. Did you think that you might hold your seats and you would still be an MP? I thought it was always going to be a struggle, um, running as an independent in a constituency that had previously returned a Conservative majority of 19,500. Um, there was potential scenarios whereby I might have won, but became pretty clear to me, particularly in the last few days of the general election, that there was a huge fear of Jeremy Corbyn being Prime Minister and that the Conservative vote was going to come out and you know, there were people who, I think, you know, in their heart were quite sympathetic and wanted to support me but you know, saw the only way of presenting, preventing Jeremy Corbyn being Prime Minister was, was voting Conservative. And I think you know, that's what did for the Liberal Democrats in lots of cases, but, but also independents like me and Dominic and Anne and Anna. Uh, so, yeah, so I, 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 I always thought it was a long shot. I think there was a possible way I might have won, but you know, it was clear the way the election campaign had panned out that it, it, was, it was not to be. And how do you think Boris Johnson is doing now as Prime Minister? Has he surprised you at all? Well, I think there's... Some things which he's, I mean, I think he's made some, some correct decisions on, uh, on, on, on quite a few points. I think he's obviously dealing with the coronavirus uh, point, and uh, although I think one could say there was a sort of bit of a slow start, it seems to me that the government is gripping it pretty well at the moment. Um, I think in terms of Brexit, at the moment, uh, I, I fear we're, we could well be heading towards collapse in the talks before very much longer. That doesn't altogether surprise me, and, and the, the argument I was running at the time of the general election was that you know, we're so boxed in, the government was so boxed in, that we might find it very difficult to reach a deal on stage two, uh, and those concerns are probably only being heightened, so it doesn't come as a big surprise, but I do worry about where we're going on Brexit. Obviously, one of your concerns um, last year was about no-deal Brexit and whether or not Boris Johnson as Prime Minister was willing to do that. Do you think he actually wants the deal, or do you think he's happy to walk away? I think he would like a deal. On balance, I think he would like a deal. But um, I think it's pretty clear that the nature of the deal that he wants is very thin, so there's not much much of an economic upside compared to no you know, WTO terms in, in, in getting a deal. Um, but the, the political pain, given what he'd have to sign up to on level playing field provisions and so on, um, might be quite considerable. Now, I, I really do think, you know, with goodwill and compromise on both sides, is that there ought to be a deal that is out there. Um, but I worry about some of the rhetoric. I worry about the way in which the government is getting boxed in. And, of course, the thing is, if, if a deal is achieved, then the Prime Minister will have to sell it, and he'll sell it very well, but he'll do it with gusto, and it'll be the most fabulous deal and so on. And then he'll have ownership, and he'll have responsibility for what happens next. And with the best will in the world... You know, any deal that we are going to get is still going to involve very considerable friction at our borders. It's going to make it very hard for those businesses with complex supply chains. It may make it very difficult for the agricultural sector. Uh, and you know, he will get a lot of the blame for that. And you know, I also suspect that number 10 would probably be very effective in blaming the European Union if there was a breakdown in talks and quite a lot of the British public 
would be more than willing to blame EU intransigence on any collapse in the talks, regardless of how reasonable or otherwise the, the respective parties have been. We're still relatively new into this government, but we've already seen quite a few bust-ups. The Chancellor, Sajid Javid, has departed. Uh, recently, there's been a breakdown of relations in the Home Office. Special advisers have left. And, you know, an ongoing sort of battle, really, with the media as well. Why do you think this is happening? There does seem to be a lot of concentration of power in Number 10. Uh, and I have to say, I don't think that's entirely healthy. I think you do need, for example, the Treasury to be a strong institution. Um, and uh, I think it would have been humiliating for Sajid if he'd had his um, advisers sacked from beneath him. Uh, so I think that's, uh, I think that's unhealthy. Uh, I do think that... Um, I think one has to be careful about the way in which uh, one deals with the civil service, is that I think people are entitled to uh, be treated reasonably well um, and uh, you know, there, there are clearly tensions there so I, I think there's just a very strong desire to deliver on number 10's mandate that is that is understandable um, but there seems a determination to remove any form of opposition and that anything that sort of stands in the way of number 10 getting what it wants is somehow seen as uh, unacceptable and uh, that's not a healthy attitude. The government are also bringing their first budgets and you spent six years in the Treasury very closely involved in uh, developing budgets. Uh, what are the big challenges in doing that? How big a moment is this for the government? Well the budget is a big set piece. It is an opportunity where you know, in normal circumstances it would dominate the news uh, for that day and the days afterwards. Um, that it is a big opportunity to set out the future agenda. Now, of course, this year, coronavirus is, is, um, is dominating news headlines and will continue to do so. It makes it very difficult for uh, Rishi Sunak as Chancellor, and it's already a very difficult cha uh, challenge for him. He only, will only have been in post for four weeks at the time that he delivers his budget. I mean, normally it takes, you know, many, many months to work up a budget. Uh, so he stepped in relatively late in the day. Uh, you've got a lot of pressure from a very powerful number 10. Uh, you've got uncertainty over the economic position of the country to, just because of the Brexit departure, and we're not knowing quite where we stand there. Then you throw in coronavirus, where the impact is likely to be short-term, but it could be very significant in that short-term period. So there's much more uncertainty compared to normal budgets. So it is a big moment. It is usually a chance to set the direction. But I think the new Chancellor would be more than forgiven if, in fact, he ends up with a much more slimmed-down budget and says, look, my main budget this year will be in the autumn. Uh, and I think if I was him, that's what I would be tempted to do. You, as Secretary of State, you spoke out in defence of judges. Obviously, the relationship with the judiciary was a big part of your role as Lord Chancellor. There's been a lot of discussion about judicial reform. Do you think there will be any reform happening, or is it just political posturing? I think it's difficult to see quite how um, the reforms that are being talked about would be implemented. And it's a, it's a practical point here. 
And look, I think there is a legitimate debate to be had about the extent to which you know, have the judiciary on occasions strayed into uh, areas that are best left to politicians or not. And, and there, are, there are respectable arguments on both sides of this. But it's hard to see how the government can deliver reform in this area. How does, how does, how does government change judicial attitudes? You can't really pass a, a law saying, well, you know, judges should only uh, grant judicial reviews where it's appropriate. I mean, that's, that's got a meaningless, circular, um, ineffective process. Nor, I would hope, are we talking about a substantial change in the way that judges are appointed. It is very important to my mind that judges are independent, that there isn't a sort of political influence in terms of their appointment. So it, I'm not entirely clear. I understand where the government wants to go on this. I do, to some extent, understand some of their concerns. Some of it is overblown, but I do understand some of the concerns. But, um, but it's hard, it seems to me, to f- see what a sort of practical way through is. There's been a big push as well with this government for ministers to really focus on delivering in their departments and to avoid distractions from that. Do you think a few more should do what Rory Stewart did and set himself objectives where he'll resign if he doesn't achieve them? Well, Rory, Rory is Rory, and um, I mean he did, uh, and he was an incredibly effective minister. And uh, his sort of announcement of "I haven't met this target." Uh, uh, for the ten prisons, I will resign. Probably helped inject some energy into that that process, and he he did in truth deliver. Uh, but um, by and large, I wouldn't be advising uh, any of my former colleagues to sort of do do that. It's a good thing to set targets. It's a good thing to set clear objectives uh, and make it clear how to to, to the, you know one's determination to do it. But uh, you are leaving yourself. Um, you know, very vulnerable to a bit of bad luck or something completely out of your control. So I, 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 I never um, set, I never quite followed the Rory approach, and I wouldn't expect many others to either. Well, what about your own approach to um, being a minister and uh, being an effective minister? Um, uncork the gawk was a phrase that was doing the rounds in British politics. What can ministers do to unleash their potential? I think um, for a, for a minister, I think that the, the advice that everybody gives ministers, but it's good advice, is you know set yourself some clear objectives, you know work out what it is that you can do, what you can deliver, what is worthwhile, what is something that you can look back on, you know, when your ministerial career is finished and think, well, that was that was something really worth doing. And, and, and focus on those objectives and you know, make sure that you communicate those objectives to your department, to your special advisors, to, uh, to the wider public, the interested uh, groups, and, um, and pursue it. And I think uh, you know, it's incredibly satisfying if you can make progress on those objectives. And what about your future? Would you, I mean, come back into the Conservative fold if you had the chance, or if the party doesn't move, would you join a new centrist party? Well, I'm not going to rush back to uh, active politics or um, um, membership of a political party. 
I mean, during the general election campaign, I described myself as a, as a liberal, centre-ground uh, conservative. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable with the Conservative Party at the last general election. I'm, I'm not looking to rejoin, but I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe um, the Prime Minister will surprise me with his approach on, on Brexit. Uh, but no, well, time, time will tell as to whether I'll um, ever join a political party, whether it's rejoin or, or join something new. And, I mean, talking about the election campaign, you did some rather popular videos with you and your dad and occasionally with Rory Stewart. Uh, do you wish you'd got your dad involved in your social media profile earlier? Yes, perhaps I should. Perhaps I should. In fact, I just, um, I just bumped into a member of the House of Lords, who I don't know terribly well, who uh, just came up to me and said... We need to see your father on the screen more often. So, um, so yeah, no, I think he rather enjoyed the the celebrity, um, which he thought sort of came rather sort of uh, sort of late in life. But given that he's younger than Joe Biden, who knows what the future holds? Will he be campaigning for Rory Stewart? Uh, I think he might do. I mean, certainly he doesn't live in London, um, but no, he'll certainly be supporting Rory in the uh, London elections, as indeed am I. And your prediction then for the year ahead, do you th- or rather for the Parliament ahead, do you think that both Boris Johnson and perhaps Dominic Cummings, his chief advisor, will survive the Parliament? I think, um, I think it's more likely that Boris Johnson will be there at the end of this Parliament. I, I suspect at one point or other um, Dominic Cummings will move on. But you know, frankly, in the last few years, predictions in politics are generally not... Mine or anybody else's hasn't necessarily come true, so goodness knows what's going to happen.